most important thing that happens in church each week. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to do a survey about that. The sermon, the music, time talking together afterwards, welcoming newcomers, children's and youth groups, home groups on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, causes for people exploring the faith, uh, events for newcomers, finance updates, baptism, communion. The list would go on and on. The interesting thing would be to do a survey in our own church, or maybe um, in commission across London or across our country. What is the most important thing that happens in church each week? Certain times it might feel like one thing is more critical than another. You might be sitting there at the moment thinking, that is the most important thing. The person next to you might be thinking something else. And you might both be right. They might both be important. After all, it's pretty hard to tell, isn't it? Well, the Christians in Corinth did a proper model about spiritual life and church gatherings in particular. What was the most important thing to do when they met together? What was church all about? And Paul is writing these letters at 1 Corinthians to help them tidy up their mess. First, in chapter 12, he says, You've got to understand the spiritual gifts that are given to you from your Heavenly Father for the sake of others in the church. It's chapter 12. Chapter 13, and because they've given from God your Heavenly Father, you're supposed to use them in love with each other. That's the attitude you're supposed to use your gifts in. But whilst every activity, every gift is valuable, he says there is one thing that is more valuable than all the others that I really want you to pursue, to chase off. And so we arrive at chapter 14. Now we've already known that this chapter can be controversial. And perhaps as it was read, you sat there feeling a little bit nervous, and worried, confused. Maybe you thought, well, their Corinthians life was obviously very different to my life. But even though it was quite different when they gathered together at church, the logic of this passage is actually pretty straightforward. Quite simple. It's when we try to put it into practice, when we try to apply it to our own life, that's when it's going to get a bit hard, perhaps, a little bit uncomfortable. But we don't need to be afraid as we unpack Paul's words. But consider humbly what might they mean for us together today. If you're here this morning and you're still exploring the Christian faith, I hope that this passage gives you an insight into the extraordinary thing God is doing amongst these people in church. And the extraordinary thing that he's doing you too. So please keep on listening. Just going through those two lessons and the first is quite a lot of the sentence. First of all, only speech that makes sense can strengthen the church. Only speech that makes sense can strengthen the church. First one. Find a way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Well, like a child on their birthday, Christians are meant to be impatient, keen to unwrap the presents that their Heavenly Father wants to give them. But what exactly is this gift, the gift of prophecy? We know, don't we, the Christians, they were a little bit unusual. And so maybe this strangely named gift is a bit unusual too. Maybe we're sitting here thinking, I have a receipt, I'd like to exchange it for something a bit more conventional, please. But if we read on, we'll discover that it really is a wonderful gift from God. Verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. 
They are some mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. You notice these couple of verses. It's a simple case to spot the difference. On the one hand, the gift of tongues. On the other, the gift of prophecy. The tongue speaker speaks directly to God in words that don't make sense to anybody else. It's spirit-empowered language straight from their soul. So one church member said to me this week about her own experience. She said, when I speak in tongues, it's as if God helps me to pray what, for what he really wants, rather than what is at the forefront of our minds. Or as Ali puts it in his book, all about art, he has a little paragraph seven tongues. He said this, to me, painting is like speaking in tongues. That ancient language in which the Spirit of God takes over, and new sounds emerge like the groundswell water, uh, the groundswell water, and the soil becomes full of life. When it happens to me, by which he says he means both painting and tongues, but primarily painting, it is truly humbling and both energizing and exhausting. So there's tongues on the one hand, this kind of spirit empowered language of the soul, and prophecy on the other, words that make sense to other people and therefore which benefit those who listen. Verse 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, and less self-interprets, so that the church may be edified. You notice the key word? Edify. A word from the world of construction, because the church is a spiritual building project, as the Apostle Peter says. He says, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house in which God dwells by his Spirit. Now, this might be hard to believe in a week like this week. When we look at the news, and we see the turmoil in the world, but God building is the most important. That is happening in the world. It is always the most significant thing that is happening in the world. His church is the only building that lasts forever. And you and I, as the followers of Jesus, have the wonderful privilege of being part of living stones in God's spiritual temple forever. We, the church, are the place where God's spirit dwells in us. We are priests whose joy it is to worship God and to serve Him by offering our lives in sacrifice to Him. But how do we do that? How do we build the temple? The answer is clear. Only speech that makes sense and strengthen the church. And the Corinthians have got this wrong. They prize tongues so much and they neglect the prophecy. If I can put it like this, they were like a building crew that um, were obsessed with protein shakes. They kind of built them up individually, making them like stacked and muscly Superman-like builders. But they undervalued the actual bricks and mortar that alone could leave the building standing long after the scaffolding had been taken away. And so Paul reminds them of what's really valuable in God's temple construction project. Yes, tongues can have value for the individual, but only prophecy can strengthen Courage and comfort, verse 3, the living stone in God's 
not very clear whether he said that. Or verse 8. Imagine the uselessness of a muffled air that is starting to kill. Or verses 9 to 11. That experience we've all had on holiday, with no amount of hand gestures, no amount of speaking very loudly to somebody, tell them what you want, can get across the fact that you don't speak the same language. You see, church should not be a place where communication is unclear. It's God's temple building project. And amazingly, he says to you and me, roll up your sleeves. Open the map and get involved in building church flowers. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. In other words, all the way back to verse 1, especially prophecy. It's a wonderful fulfillment of what we looked at a number of ago. The people of God are discouraged. They're out of the desert. They've got no food. And um, God sends the Spirit, 70 men prophesy. And then those two young men are still out there in the camp. They're prophesying. Someone comes and tells Moses, it's getting out of control, Moses. And Joshua says, stop them, stop them. And Moses says, oh, let all the Lord's people prophesy. And God sends the Spirit of all. And 1 Corinthians 14 says, that day that Moses longed for, God has put his Spirit on all his people. Let all his people can speak the spiritual words of one another. So, um, do we have a word that, that we could say that would lift someone up in that season of sadness and grief? Is there a thought in our mind that could help a brother who is facing temptation not to do it? Is there a, a word in our heart that could help a sister remember God loves her? Is there a burden in us to share something of God's beauty when we look at the world in life and so on? Is there something that inside us that wants to say, God is in charge, but it looks like He is? Has the Lord reminded us of something about His plan for the church that He wants us to share to encourage our family? Now I think that all of those kinds of things and many more can be prophecies. God's spirit empowered words spoken by his people to his people. Maybe it's from the preacher. Maybe it's from a person leading prayers. Maybe it's from a person sharing a story. Maybe it's words that we speak to each other informally after service. Maybe it's words that are spoken in a home recess. Or maybe it's words that are spoken out loud, and all the people of God are gathered together in a deliberate time set aside to speak the word of God to one another that is not hard to man, but it is open and encouraged. And a little bit of forewarning, that's what we're going to try to do in two weeks when we come back to the second half of the message. Not for the sake of it, but because I think God's word suggests that kind of thing can do for us. Sort of public shared spoken ministry is happening in Corinth, wasn't it? Even if it was riddled from the space, riddled within space, which we're meant to learn from. So verses 13 to 17, Paul continues to correct our errors. He says, You Corinthians, 
speaking in tongues in your public worship service might be the most spiritually ecstatic moment of your week. But what about a brother or sister sitting next to you? They can't even understand what you're saying, so it's like they've become an outsider. They can't even say amen. So either make sure, Mr. or Mrs. Fellow Speaker in Corinth, that you can interpret what you're saying, or put your gift away. Because church is never meant to be a place for monologues where one person or a selectively speaks, the building shop where all the people of God speak the word of God to each other. So let's put this foundation in place. Speech that makes sense and strengthen the church. Only through Christ. That's what Paul says in the I thank God. Shall I speak in tongues more than all of you? But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words than such as would be 10,000 words in a tongue. Tongues seem to be clearly the gift of God. And those are good gifts which He saved us. If God gives it to you, thank God for it. But in the church, when we gather together, just a handful of words spoken that make sense outweigh a myriad of words. Any words like that can build up and bind together the living stones of God's spiritual temple. But amazingly, with those words, so with the Spirit's power, our words can even bring others into the temple of God. The second name follows the Only the words that witness can lead the world to greater worship. Only words that witness can lead the world to Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, begin to let your thinking be adults. In the law which is written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So the climax of this argument, Paul brings in a slightly obscure but brilliantly relevant story of the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah. And it's about a time when, when God is speaking to his people through the prophet and he's saying that the judgment is coming because of your sin. And when they respond to Isaiah, they go, 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 who's going to say? And so God says to them, through Isaiah, he says, you think all I'm saying is blah, 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 blah. Well, just you wait. And to the people whose language sounds like blah, 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 you don't understand. Come in, the people whose language is sending you to exile. Then you'll know that I really am serious. What happens? The Babylonians come with their unintelligible language that God's people can't understand, and they speak God's people back when they take them to exile, and it's a sign to the unbelieving people of God that they are under God's judgment. But now, in Corinth, as God's new covenant people speak words that sound like God would do in the hearing of the watching world, the table becomes a turn. Now, the tongue speaking confirms that the world is under judgment instead. You see that verse 22? Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Why? Because verse 23, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that they're out of their minds? Well, that's nonsense. That's Christianity business. So I went to church this morning, they were talking to each other or talking to somebody, and I didn't have to tell them what they said. Because they'd left the door there, their minds at the door. 
uh, some of them in the street, but they're rather not so correct service bit like that. Lots and lots of unintelligible, uninterpreted cards. And she said, never been back to church since. She was praying for them. Some of them can be assigned pointing to and confirming the person's unbelief. How much better is the word spoken at church and accept for all who believe? Verse 24. But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. See, yes, verse 22, prophecy is for believers, it builds them up. But when Christians speak God's words to each other, they're not the only ones who hear. Whether it's preaching the pulpit, resting the Bible, some people spoken to each other in many other ways. God's word has tremendous power and can produce remarkable results in the lives of those who don't yet believe. Double-edged sword is a cut to the heart of our soul and spirit. In the hands of God's Holy Spirit, God's word convicts us of our guilt before Him. It reminds us of His perfect standards that we can never reach. It points us to the certainty of His judgment one day. And as we speak the truth into one another's lives, we can't help but witness that our new life in Jesus is real. And so instead of thinking this is a holy God we did, these people are mad. An outsider, a seeker, a nominal Christian may well say to themselves as they walk home from church or as they go to bed that night and they think about it during the week, you know, I just couldn't quite put my finger on it. What happened in church that day? But I know I can't ignore it. Something was happening there. Reminded me that it was real. And it's curious it's the way they spoke to each other and the value that they put on the words that were spoken. Surely, possibly, God is there. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that all of us have experienced something like that in our lives. Maybe we came to church with a, a sort of interested non Christian who wouldn't buy the fireplace. Maybe we were kind of dragged along by a husband or a wife or a friend who were an antagonistic unbeliever. Maybe we kind of found ourselves there and had no interest at all. Maybe we were taken along by our parents and we were always kind of familiar with the things of Christ. But at some point, it doesn't really matter how we heard the words or who spoke them. At some point, in that kind of gathering, often, we, we could have said to ourselves, there's something about the Lord here. There's something true about me. Because those words witnessed to us, they wounded our consciences, they led us towards worship. It was real to us. And that can still happen at any time. Any time. Especially when God's people meet together to worship. No, it didn't happen today. So here this morning, you're not yet convinced about the Christian faith. But as words are spoken, as prayers are said, as songs are sung, you think, maybe God is in this place. Maybe these things are true. And if we're already here this morning with believers, doesn't that massively raise your expectations about church? Doesn't that make you think that is the most thrilling place? God's word is spoken, and people can say, surely, God.
and worth of it the world's portion. Remember the question we began with, what is the most important thing that happened each week? Very simply, I think it is words that make sense and speak to each other. Spirit empowers us. Speak to strengthen the church, whether to witness towards the world. And that is something we can all be involved